Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Namihinui and welcome. From RNZ National, here's our changing world. For geologist and author Bruce Haywood, the rocks beneath our feet are a book to be read. They tell tales of the planet and how it was formed, and they also hold clues to things that happened in the past. Let's join Bruce on a field trip to West Auckland. Now, I'm very excited because we've come on a field trip, but where you've brought me, Bruce, is on the side of a road at Murawai, and it's a road cutting. That's right. Well, a lot of the insights geologists have to the the structure of the rocks can be seen in road cuttings. It's not seen on the surface of the countryside. So where the, the road is cut through, we can see a slice through the rocks and maybe able to read some of the history of what's gone on here by looking at those. So these road cuttings are a bit of a 3D book for you back in time? They are, definitely, yes. And here at uh, Murawai, we're high above the, the sea here, about 100 metres above sea level, and the road is cut through uh, some young rocks that were deposited as a coastal belt of sand dunes around one to one and a half million years ago here. So we're seeing a cross-section through some of those sand dunes, and this lower part of the road cutting has cross-bedding, which is the the front of the sand dune as it was advancing. The sand grains rolled down the front. It advanced, and it left these quite angular, what we call cross-beds, in the road cutting as we can see it here. So what's happened to these dunes in the last million years? Have they been slowly pressed down to make a sandstone? Well, they, they haven't been buried very deeply. There's only another 10 or 20 metres above this, this road cutting here that was deposited on top of them. So they are quite soft, really. They're not a, a firm sandstone. They're a, a consolidated sand, which we might call a sandstone, but they're not terribly firm. They're just firm enough for the road cutting to, to stand up and not much more than that. But uh, generally, they're here as they were deposited, and now we can see in this road cutting uh, some of the stories of how they were deposited and even, hopefully, evidence of what was wandering over them at that time. Excellent. You want to wander up and we'll have a look. Indeed. We can see the sand dune bed beneath, which comes up to this point, and then we have a a lens here about two or three metres thick where we can see horizontally laminated sands. Uh, Some are orangey colour, some are, are lighter colour and we can see the laminae there. They're clearly not deposited by wind-blown sand. They've been deposited in water. So that might have been a small depression on the dunes making a small dune lake or something. In in fact, you can probably see that going up there. It probably was a small uh, lake in behind a fore dune here. And in fact, I know that 300 metres away on a track over to our left, there are similar deposits like this. So you can extend this deposit for at least 300 metres that was a former sand dune lake. Where does the orange colour come from, Bruce? Well, as you know, on the west coast, we've got uh, black titanomagnetite-rich iron sands and also quartzo sands. In some places at the back of the beach, the waves coming in concentrate the black sand in one part. In other parts, it'll be removed and it'll be quite light or, or quartz and white. So here we had horizons or laminae that are richer in 
titanomagnetite, the black sand grains and others that are rich and just in the quartz. Now as it's been exposed here, the oxygen's getting into that iron oxide mineral and it's weathering it or rusting it and so that's giving those layers that had a lot of iron sand in them an orangey rust colour. So we're getting alternate orange and white layers which are bringing up these features so we so nicely see them. The other thing we can see here are these little lozenges of orangey sand in between with white sand layers in between. So all these little lozenges, yep. they call that flazer bedding. And it's usually produced by ripples. And they're usually produced by tide coming in and out in two different directions. And so if this was on the edge of a lake, the, the water may have had little ripples that r- created ripples in the sand. And we're seeing these uh, captured in the rock here. So it's more evidence that we're probably on the very edge of this particular lake here. So some layers you can see here are quite horizontal and undisturbed, but then we come down to here and there's all sorts of disturbance to that layering, as you can see it here. There is lots of swirling, thick and thin and all over the place. Uh, That's right. This puzzled me for for many years. I'd seen it maybe 20 years ago, and I was sure this was evidence of, of water laid, and I showed it to one or two other geologists who came along and they sort of threw their hands up and said it was too difficult for them. But if we look at it more closely, actually we can interpret it. So if we believe that all the, the layers that are horizontal were laid down on the floor of the lake or at the edge of the lake, and all these layers that are disturbed were also horizontal, so what has disturbed them? And if we look here, for example, you can see there's a, a big depression Uh, that's been pushed down into the layer here and some of those layers have been pulled down by the depression. See those layers here? Yes. Pulled down, so something's pushed down. So what this is clearly showing where we've got these depressions, this one's about uh, 15 centimetres across, Uh, it gives evidence that there's something's come along, pushed down on the layers of sediment, that uh, depression that's been created has been preserved and whatever caused it has then been lifted out or, or bounced out. So So the question is, what could have produced such a depression and compressed these layers underneath them? What were your thoughts when you started looking in detail? You noticed these depressions. What were you thinking? Well, I'd seen something like this before, just recently published by my colleague at GNS, Greg Brown, who recognised dinosaur footprints in much older sedimentary rocks down in the South Island. And uh, in cross-section, they look very much like what we're seeing here. And so I immediately looked at these closely and thought maybe there was some big organism, some big animal that had produced these, and these were footprints. Now, we're only going back one to one and a half million years ago, and as we all know, there were no mammals or big reptiles in New Zealand. It clearly had to be, I think, a large, heavy bird, really. And while I can't prove it was a mower, that's most likely a mower would fit this, and they were certainly around at that time. Oh, well. In New Zealand, we know of 10 other sites where there are mower footprints, but they're all seen in plan view. So you can see the three toes of the footprint in the plan view. Here we're seeing a a cross-section that's cut right through the the layers, and we're not seeing the plan view. We're seeing a cross-section of that depression cut through in here. So these other mower footprints, are they in similar-aged rocks and sediments? Many of them are younger. Uh, but one or two may be as old as this within the last two million years, but they're all in uh, places other than sand dune deposits. They're mostly in lake deposits, um, river flat deposits, in muds and in ash deposits. Uh, Many of them were discovered a century or more ago. Some of them were actually dug out and collected and sent to museums. Others that have been seen have since eroded away. They're usually like these ones in fairly soft rock, so they erode away quite quickly. But none of them have they looked at or seen the cross-section, 
and I guess that's probably why this road cut, which has been here for 50, 60, 70 years, nobody had recognised that it was really special. Now, that one that you first showed me at the bottom there, what would it tell you about which direction, for example, the mower was walking in? So if you think about the mower, it's got three very large toes, and so the shape of the the depression in cross-section will vary depending on which way it's cut through the three large toe imprints. Right here. So here we may be getting the, the toe and the, the heel of it. Uh, in some places we're getting... Here, here's one here. There's only one little depression there. That may be sort of something across like at a different angle. And I can see another one in here. So we've only got a, a little bit of a depression there. So there may be different parts of the, the footprint that the cross-section that we're now seeing in the road cut has gone through. So they're not all the same, right? In this instance, the sand has to have been damp, right? If it was uh, dry, a footprint wouldn't be preserved. If it was really wet, it would just flow back in and wouldn't be preserved. It's damp, so it's probably not under the water, but on the edge of the lake, the sand, when these mower were or whatever they were, they're making these footprints. So when you go on the sand at the back of the beach, say, only where it's nice and damp, and, f and you put your foot in and come out, your footprint's still left there perfectly. And if you were to cut through it, you would see the layers directly beneath your footprint have been pushed down. You'll see a break on the edges where it's cut through. And then along comes more sand in this instance, either blown or carried by a gentle water current, and it's filled up this depression here with sand afterwards, as you can see. Now, you talked about Greg Brown's dinosaur footprints from the South Island. So have you shown him these footprints, and does, what does he think of them? Well, I sent him some photographs, and he immediately said, uh, where are these? I'm really excited. And I said, sorry, they're too young for your dinosaurs. How many different footprints have you identified if, as well, you've looked across this road cutting? As you can see, it's uh, somewhat uh, obscured by fungi growth and by some of the locals with their romantic graffiti dug into it. So just in this little area where it's nice and clean and clear where the Putukawa branch has been brushing over it, uh, I've identified, I think it's seven different p potential footprints just in this one metre by one metre square. So probably in here there's probably uh, 20 or 30 footprints, but that doesn't tell us how many mower there were. It may have been just one, it may have, although it has been on a number of occasions at different levels here, maybe a few years apart. These uh, sediments here that are deposited in water have no organic matter in them. So that's suggesting to me it was a dune lake but without forest around it. If it had forest around it, you would expect to get uh, organic material carried into the lake and, and forming a lignite or peat deposit. So what was attracting the mower? There was presumably nothing right here for them to eat, but they probably came here to drink. Now, could it have been anything else? Could it have been... A rock falling on it, for instance. Okay, yes, well, clearly it has to be something heavy that's landed on the horizontal beds of sand and has pushed them down and now has disappeared. Uh, so it could have been something that came out of the air, a lot of, lot of them that came out of the air, but they've gone. So they, one possibility is that maybe a rock rolled down a cliff, landed on the sand and bounced and came out. But we're very near the top of the the sand dunes as they were built up, there is no possibility that there could have been a cliff up above us anywhere here at the time or since then. So I, I, and there's no evidence of any rock fragments around that could have been from such an impactor. So I don't think it's, there's any evidence to suggest that it could be a meteor or, or a, a rock falling off a cliff or anything that's created these. So therefore I'm left with it's some organism that's come here and, and stood here.
And the only thing that could have been big enough? Well, there could be the odd other large bird, but moa are the most likely. You know, Haas eagle or something is probably... It's a possibility, but... That's fantastic. Just this the, idea the, that mm-hmm. there might have been more walking past here a million years ago is, uh, and it is an amazing thought, and leaving evidence of its passing. I don't find that amazing at all. <laughs> I mean, if moa were around, they would be walking here in most places. So I'm somewhat amazed that we've not recognised evidence of them walking in any of these older uh, sand dune deposits up until now. Maybe we haven't been looking at the cross-sections quite so clearly. In fact, when I go back into the historic literature, another colleague of mine worked down near the uh, iron sand mine for New Zealand Steel back about 30 or 40 years ago. And in his publication, he figures a little depression and says he doesn't know what's caused it. Well, I'm pretty sure it's a a mower that caused that depression that he recorded then, but he didn't recognise at that time that that's probably what it was. That was geologist Bruce Hayward from Geomarine Research. Bruce's latest book has just been published by the Geoscience Society of New Zealand. Out of the Ocean, Into the Fire tells the history in the rocks, fossils and landforms of Auckland, Northland and Coromandel. Bruce is also the author of Volcanoes of Auckland. Thanks for listening. I'm Alison Balance and this Our Changing World podcast first aired on RNZ National on the 5th of October 2017. Don't forget you can subscribe to our podcast at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, please give us a rating. It really helps. You can also find us at rnz.co.nz or on the RNZ app. Mate wa. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.